Hi everybody and welcome back to Dublin Tech Talks. Um, on our podcast today, we have Brian Fahey, who is CEO of My Compliance Office. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you very much for having me on. So My Compliance is a um, compliance management software platform that helps financial services um, unify their activities across uh, conduit and regulatory compliance. Um, a regular now on the Deloitte Fast 50, uh, winning the Scale Up Award in 22. Um, things are looking great for the business. I know it's a, a well-established business to this stage and um, securing the debt financing last year, um, I say, is going to help the business push on. Um, really nice to meet you and thanks for coming on to the show. Do you want to give us a bit more detail about what the business is and, and, and what it does? Yeah, sure. Effectively, it's B2B software for uh, capital markets firms. And capital markets firms means if you divide financial services into three groups, what most people think of as banks, insurance companies, and capital markets, sort of investment, investment banking. It's sort of the where the bigger money flows through. And in the capital markets industry, the there's a lot of money involved in a lot of transactions and it's a place where there's a lot of regulatory focus of financial services entities around the world and we do a range of software modules on one single integrated multi-tenant SaaS platform for uh, global firms around the world and we do it for very very large financial services entities and down to much smaller ones around the main main highly regulated jurisdictions around the world. RegTech is just something I'm actually quite interested in. <laughs> I don't know why, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a, and Ireland seems to be quite a hub for it as well. Um, is there a reason for that or is it just the kind of where people kind of finance has been quite heavy and it's just kind of brought along that entrepreneurial person to, to really kind of look at what the business is or what the business does and just kind of go from there? You know, it is. It has become a bit of a hotbed the last ten years in Ireland, in particular. I mean, we're around a little longer than that. We started in two thousand eight uh, as a spin-off from actually Fidelity Investments Offshore yeah. Development Group in Ireland, and probably like a lot of things and how things go, we were. My own background had been professional services in in technology for capital markets firms in the U.S. I spent about fifteen years in the U.S. and I came back and I joined Fidelity Investments Offshore Development Group in Ireland, and we were taking Fidelity Investments Technology and selling them into the U.K. and Ireland. But you know, we actually then strived and asked to become a product company uh, within Fidelity. And we really were just casting around what's hot, what's interesting. And it was compliance was the topic even back then in 2006, pre-crisis, that is, you know, a big demand for capital markets entities. Mm. So that's how we kind of ended up picking it. I, I had supported compliance systems in my whole career for capital markets entities, but um, they were, you know, kind of like where you ended up in a, if you were, um, you know, getting the wrong end of a stick on some sort of roles as well. It was a poor cousin to everything else that went on, but it started to change back then. And I think what's happened for Ireland and RegTech is, you know, there's big opportunity in it. It's uh, it, the, the whole focus and regulatory enforcement around the world has changed very significantly in the last 15 years and then people went where the opportunity was and the i suppose the capital that was around has gone to where that uh, that that money is is and so you know compliance software or even the more broadly termed grc governance risk and compliance software has been receiving a lot of invest capital investment uh, around the world for about 15 20 years so um i think you know Ireland's is getting its probably undue share of it but that's probably relates to support and uh, other factors that certainly benefited us in our tailwinds. Hmm. So you, you kind of, the, the business kind of took off post 
you know bank crisis and and, and as it went from there it, it was it just a speak to a lot of people that kind of form businesses and, and go from there was it just right time right place right product or was there a, a bit of luck in it or, or how did it kind of get that first kind of iteration of what the product was well there's always luck in it but i wouldn't say we had our most successful time after the crisis we actually the worst time after the crisis um funny you know you know like everybody's journey is a little um different but hmm. uh in in our case, I've always wanted to run a business and I've always wanted to build a software business and be involved in it and always wait was just waiting for the right kind of opportunity. And it was a situation where although we were within Fidelity Investments and we had this concept and they helped us initiate all of all of it, and actually IDA provided actually an R and D grant to Fidelity to help sort of investigate mm. this opportunity back in the day. Um I, I really was just we were a bad fit for Fidelity in what we were doing for a combination of reasons. And I took the opportunity to ask them to lift it out. And so that was how we initiated getting uh, as a separate Irish entity out of, of course, an FDI uh, institution like Fidelity and an R&D grant that the idea at the time were willing to provide. So that was how we initiated mm. it. And it was luck and I suppose uh, happenstance and a bit of you know taking the opportunity when it's there in front of you. Um, but we had a very tough time, actually. We had the first five years were a very different kind of a place to set up a business than it is now. Financial crisis meant, that, and the way Ireland was at that time, there was very little capital available yeah. to anybody. And um, so the, the capital challenges there, I mean, we were getting offered maybe, you know, 200,000 euro for 20, 25% of the firm. That's the kind of money that was available. If we went to the US then at that time, they were saying, there's no money available here for a company of your size. You need to get it locally. So we were bootstrapped for the first four to five years. And um, the product we originally built, same old classic story, it actually wasn't really fit for the market. If I had to give one piece of advice for somebody, we had, you know, because it was Fidelity who do things in a big way, they did market mm. research or we did market research. And we got a lot of people saying, we would love to have what you built. That would be fantastic. We'd love to get that. And uh, in the end, of course, we forgot to ask one very, very important question. Will you get budget for this? You know, in a B2B environment, <laughs> You know, there's often a 12-month budgetary cycle and you've got to say, will you be able to get money for it? Because the difference was when we built a great product, there wasn't a demand for it really that would actually, the, the, the clients would have wanted it, but they wouldn't have got budget for it. So we changed in 2009 what we were offering to something more in a particular area of what we would call now employee compliance. So we barely survived. We had the classic story of, you know, um, our fingernails are on the walls of survival for the first five years. The classic story around all of that. So um, <laughs> we had a tough time the first five years. And, and as well, that classic story of we have a really nice product, but nobody to buy it. Um, you've, you've, I've heard that a few times. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. But that particularly the one question, and it was just the difference between we would want to have it versus the willingness to be able to pay for it. So, so post kind of oh nine, ten, eleven, that time was was there a pivot in in the sales function, or was it a pivot in just just what you did and how you got the product to market? Uh, we changed the product in two thousand and nine. We actually built a new product effectively on our platform, and that was something that was we had learned in the previous year, year and a half that was in demand. Um, it naturally was something that fitted well for a multi-tenant SaaS product. We did the classic 
business model of, you know, building sort of a capable core product and selling it at a much cheaper price and we're replacing manual systems that meant mm. uh, manual spreadsheets and different ways of doing something that was already a regulatory rule. So it was leveraging off, you know, cloud computing, multi-tenant SaaS, you know, much lower implementation costs, much lower annual fee costs to, to do that, and we sold it in. But we were selling into the US, that was the primary market always from the start. I and mean, today we're about 1,500 customers and maybe five of them are Irish, to be honest, that's really all it is. So, but the US has always been our primary market. And, um, but those five years, we would have been sixth in the market. There were a number of other firms, um, quite a few doing multi-tenant SaaS, the same thing. Hmm. So we were a distance, distant sixth behind, um, I think all the major players. Very different today. But. Yeah, um, um, and why was America first? Was that just what you were comfortable with from your, where, where you were in Fidelity? Or because or, a lot of Irish companies would, would focus, say, Ireland first and then elsewhere? Or was it just not the market here? Well, there certainly isn't the market here. And, and I think for an awful lot of B2B uh, software, I would be always advocating you've got to start. It's, it's hard enough to build a business. Start where the market is big. Yeah. And you'll have as much pain in trying to do it in a small market as in a big market. So go for the big market. Capital markets, um, the investment industry, or whichever way you want to call it, is very, very um, established in the US. When you have these pension plans that people define where their money goes, they get used to investing earlier. It's happened in the US for a long time. UK, Australia has had these pension plans and they, they bring forth a broader set of investors and of course, there's more money in there. So it actually is different. There's like 15,000 what we would call registered investment advisory and broker dealer firms in the US. And, um, you know, you'd be talking about 20 in Ireland. Okay. And in the UK, you might still only be talking about 500. So you really have to, you know, it's really a simple case of go where the biggest market is. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> go, go, who's got to give you money? Um, so the business has kind of scaled quite quite gradually and then it, over the last few years it, it, it's kind of multiplied and, and people anyway and then kind of I'm guessing cl customers and clients as a CEO how, how have you found that scale journey and, and, and kind of is, is it something that you've enjoyed or is it something that keeps you up at night? <laughs> well it's the biggest thing I think for anybody who's built something from the scratch from scratch A you know what do you do with it when it gets to a reasonable size I mean do you want to do something else do you want to be in a different business, um, or do you want to go into and build a scaled a scaled business? Uh, certainly, I fall into the latter, uh, but you know it's a very different type of skill sets to to do that. And all of us across the whole firm and all the group that were with us from the start, we've all had to change and evolve with time. But it's been in spurts uh, in terms of the scaling, the mm. real big scaling. For the most part, it's been very steady growth year after year. Um, you know, we charge on an annual basis. We end up with our, what they call the annual recurring revenue is the same number as our revenue from the year before. So we usually, we've already got the revenue from the year before uh, backed in. So you can now invest into your, you decide where you're doing your investment. And we used to, in the second phase, the second five years, if you like, we were, all right, we don't have enough in support. We don't have enough in sales and marketing. We'd sort of put chunks at a time more into the functions to try and grow them and scale them. And uh, that was that, that's how it grew for the second five years. The last five years, we changed our focus a lot to grow, to focus on the much more, the much larger entities. 
And um, that has been a big source of our growth the last five years. The product has become, uh, and we've also like been able to, each year we can invest more in, mm. we've been able to add a lot more products. So the bigger scale has come in the last three years. I mean, we actually went to, uh, we more than doubled our team in one year and a lot of it is in product development. But we would actually, actually expect that to then bring forward new products over the next three to five years that will also be more scaling of the rest of the firm. So the scaling that we've done, the, the, the heavy scaling we've done the last 18 months to a year is actually an investment for the future, really, in product development. And right now we're going to be at our highest percent ever of or or R&D, our product investment at 33% of our revenue. So it's we keep we've a long-term view and a long-term goals in around what we're building for the industry. And so uh, I think our scaling journey is only starting, to be honest. But it'll be a journey, that's for sure. And it'll be a, a journey for myself, the management team, and the whole organization. And uh, you know, you got to continually challenge yourself about it, and you got to continually try to learn because it's a different capability, a different level of uh, way of working. And and the evolution of the product, I'm, I'm always interested in this, so uh, you, can tell me to, you can tell me to stop asking questions, but, um, you know, is, is that customer-led? Has that been just identifying new markets? What What's the kind of, you know, either kind of you have to evolve or die, or, or what type of kind of mentality has the product development been pushed on? We've had very ambitious vision, mission, whatever term you want to give to it uh, from early on about what we want to do and build out. And the big difference for us is about a single integrated platform for doing a a full range of GRC activities for cap markets on one platform. Hmm. So it's primarily been growth into different products on the same platform. That's been primarily the growth. It has been geographical expansion into the jurisdictions that we want to that we, we believe we can we can sell in and um you know we went through years of where we go on these um you, you go visit these different uh, countries that enterprise ireland would arrange trips for and you'd go and talk to irish diaspora and you'd kind of find out more about those individual markets and with all of that we very much focused on highly regulated markets and we haven't changed that actually in the last uh, five to seven years. So where our kind of geographical focus is pretty set and our hmm. growth primarily is coming from product expansion. Plus that thing, what I mentioned in 2017 about um, actually going after larger entities. So you get growth from being able to service and support very large financial services. And there's a different, obviously, um, revenue that comes with that. Uh, so it's it's come from multiple places. But it's been sort of expand the geography this year to to a different geography in different years, and then different products in different years depending on where the demand is. So, the the in the compliance world, I would say the demand is actually from enforcement. People think it's about the regulations. It's actually for us. I would suggest it's actually all about the enforcement. Where is there going to be enforcement? Because not everybody is compliant anyway until they have fear. Yeah. There's a lot of so. <laughs> yeah. Unless, uh, Until you're told. <laughs> Are you compliant? Yeah, yeah, of course we are. Well, being told isn't enough. Being told is actually not enough unless you're being monitored. I always remember when I left Ireland originally and I, and I said, well, in the US, and when I left Dublin, 
I always kind of used to remember like people would park everywhere and they'd be up in the uh, double yellow lines and all this kind of stuff. And at one point between that and coming back, the guard, I would be doing enforcement and there'd be actually tickets and fines and all that. And all of a sudden people aren't parking on yellow lines. And it's, it's amazing to see how consistent that happens. The, when I mentioned what we had in 2009 and what the, the market we chased in 2009, that wasn't any new regulation. That regulation had been around for a while. The difference was the enforcement. And the new products that we created very often were in reaction to somebody getting fined and people being worried about it. <laughs> so yeah. with that enforcement, rules mean nothing, you know, for a lot of people. Yeah, no, 100%. <laughs> Banks didn't think you'd get fined for the tracker mortgages. Suddenly it is. Now it's an important part of the, yeah. the you know, that, that's the reality. I never thought of it like that. But, but you're, it's so core and key to our business. At the end of the day, you know, we're growing quite well. We're expanding in our target segments, if you like. But the world of compliance is getting dramatically bigger and more opportunity with it because the enforcement levels are, are have changed very dramatically. And this is a learning that the regulators have, came about, I'm going to guess maybe five years, you know, it depends on the regulator, but they, they used to have fines before and basically it used to be a write-off for the companies and they would say, hmm, you know, it's better off doing what we're doing. That fine is better off paying that than, than dealing with that. So, um, they woke up to that fact and they made some really, really big fines which turned heads around. Especially in America where, you know, the, the regulator is so powerful and, you know, they've, they've over overarching respond or kind of authority over over the majority of, of finance houses as well. You don't want to go, you don't want to cross their paths too many times. Yeah, but it, it's changing around the world as well. And you can even see, like, think about it in Ireland in the context there. And as you say, the, the fines on tracker mortgages and those amounts are become very meaningful at a board level at these financial services institutions. And they will be saying, okay, that is real. We better not get caught like this again. <laughs> when it comes to board level, you know it's gone, you know, you know you're doing something right. Um you you mentioned there as well in previous that, you, that you've based yourself in America a bit and back in Ireland. What, what would you say the ecosystem uh, for you know an entrepreneur or, or even doing business compares now to probably when you left and, and what, what it feels like in America? I'm always really interested in that. Well, the biggest difference for an Irish tech company today is the access to capital. I mean, uh, and that is a hugely, hugely different. I mentioned about it earlier on. Uh, I think the other big difference, and it's a difference to us as a firm, you know, there's a sort of a natural progression these days, it seems, with any tech entity, not just in Ireland, but around the world. You know, it's VC money, it's Series A, Series B, Series C. Once you get to a certain size, you sell it to a PE firm, you grow it to another size during that fund, and it's another three to five year cycle. And they sell it to another PE firm and valuations get higher, but the valuations are only there as, as long as there's another PE firm. The old traditional approach of building a great solution, great product, great market, great, and growing it over time, you know, for the same person, same business person or same entrepreneur, that doesn't exist in the same way anymore. And it's driven by the amount of capital that's actually in the, that's available in for funds, VC and primarily private equity. I mean, the influx of capital uh, is ginormous in the last 15 years and RegTech is getting its fair, fair share of that for sure. So I think, you know, the entrepreneur or tech 
company builder, it's 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 a different model. I mean, there's a whole focus that has got to get spent on preparing for the next investment round, whereas <laughs> we didn't have that option. So we actually just had to kind of build it and bootstrap it and, you know, get to break even and try and stay at break even and make sure we didn't run out of money. And and is that why you went with the debt financing option or you, you, you just felt more comfortable in that space? Yeah, well, there's a bigger story in that. Um, I mean, when we were in those first five years, our we were in trouble and we got into trouble trying to build out the product. And uh, so we, we ended up getting some friends and family money in 2012. And we won our two biggest deals as well. And uh, we'd actually had an offer on the table that was pretty small money for the company that we thought we would have to take just to survive. And it really was just going to pay back some debt, really. And um, But we got some friends and family money and we got some a couple of hundred thousand you're only talking about a couple of hundred thousand uh, euro. And then uh, I said, won two big deals in the US and uh, managed to get through to break mm. even. So in actual fact, the first set of debt finance we took a couple of years ago was actually to repay the friends and family money. And that's where that came from. And uh, if they wanted to have a charge over the shares to do it. And so end up taking out all the friends and family money because they wanted to get uh, some money back from it. So that's where it started. And then a key opportunity came up to buy uh, a, a company that was a competitor of ours. And it was very much a, a an opportunity to acquire a lot of clients in our space. And um, it, it becomes much more of a financial return <laughs> to the company over time. And the debt financing worked out less expensive. And I mean, it's gone up in cost a little bit since. But yeah, there was a little bit of... Um, well, I've worked so hard to like retain this equity over this last number of years, and do I want to give it up now? So that was part of it. Uh, it's not that I'm totally against that, and at some point there'll be we'll take more capital to get to the growth we want. But at the time, this was better just to do the venture debt for us. It's it's very hard to give away equity. <laughs> you work so hard to get it. <laughs> well, and, and the difference was, you know, we most of our growth, which has been organic product build and organic sales and marketing, we've been able to finance ourselves for the last 10 years. So mm. um, we'll see. Yeah, we, we'll see where, where the world works out. There's a lot of, lot of opportunities out there. We have a long way to go to get to where we want to be. So yeah, definitely. Uh, I won't take much more of your time, Brian. Um, last couple of questions. The future of the business, you've, you've obviously product um, development and iteration, you know, the next 12, 24 months is, is going to be, you know, exciting for the business. You, you obviously have goals and where you want to get to. Is, is there, you know, what does success look like for you in, in the next few years? Well, it is about the probably breadth of product sales is the key for us. And um, we are effectively sort of the original core market in 2009 came into something, built something out called employee compliance tools. And, you know, in, in many of the main major markets, that is maturing. And so effectively, you know, it's kind of an old school set of portfolio of products that are at different levels of um, uh, market maturity. But the real key is beyond building and finishing those additional components, we would have one single integrated suite. And I think that is market changing uh, as opposed to all individual solutions that, and again, 
you know, when you're PE backed, you tend to buy companies, you end up with different technologies. They're all in different data silos. They're all quite separate entities. There's different cultures and they have a three to five year cycle. We have a much more longer term view. So we don't look at it necessarily about one to two years. This is always a sort of a where we're trying to go with the firm and the three to five year cycle around that. So um, we don't have the constraints of having an owner that has needs to get their return in three to five years. So the eight, the 18 month time frame is about building more product, continuing our ex expansion, getting more clients. Uh, beyond that, it's about having a very, very differentiated suite of tools for the marketplace. Perfect. And last question, I promise. You've obviously grown a business, you know, you've, you've, you've mentioned your ups and downs and the, the squeaky bum time, as, as Mr. Ferguson would say. Um, what advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs or, or people or other business leaders that might find themselves in that position or somebody who's looking to kind of get into the, into the entrepreneurial world? Well, as I said, one of the things I would repeat would be make sure that there's going to be money to buy what you want to do, what you do. I mean, <laughs> as I said, the world has changed a bit because of all the way financing works and capital markets and the speed to market and capital, you know, it has changed in that way. But, you know, I, I favor building a great business with a long term uh, model. I mean, they say these days that you can't have competitive advantage anymore because the speed of capital can mean that people can copy and do whatever you do. Um, I, I do think you still have to build good businesses with good culture and good fundamentals uh, if you are doing it for the long term. If you're trying to do it for the short term, and I don't mean, I mean, just sort of get to a sale, which is a lot of focus for a lot of people then do try and hold on to the equity as much as you can. That is a key issue. And, you know, but very often you're looking down the barrel of a gun of needing money to get to the next, next sort of set of investment. But I will say you can do a lot with a small group of great people that money won't do. Money, when you get it into a company and you tend to get it and it's supposed to spend it fast so that you get that rapid, rapid growth, that's what those fund people are looking for. You know, there tends to be so much wastage in that. And you also are then tend to be attracted by these high priced people, you know, in the, in the US market is full of them. Um, and you can easily go through that money very, very quickly. And uh, I'd say bear in mind how the VC and the they want very, very rapid growth quickly. But that's not necessarily the best for you, the business, the people, your equity situation. I just bear that in mind is what I would say to people going these days. Brilliant advice, I, <laughs> especially at the moment, the last 12 months of anything to show for. Uh, Brian Fahey, CEO of My Compliance Office, thank you very much. And I thanks, Mill, for your time and, and I hope to see you soon. Thank you very much. Thank you uh, for listening to our latest episode on Dublin Tech Talks. That was Brian Fahey, uh, CEO of My Compliance Office. Um, really interesting company, of, um, born out of um, Fidelity Investments, really focusing on what they know well. Um, have really focused on their product evolution and really focused on what, what the customer is needing and in the marketplace and, and, and really kind of, as you said at the end there, just making sure that you have the right people doing the right things and 
really trying to grow your revenue and, and getting to break even point it's a it's a really interesting point um if that is of interest to you uh, and you want to hear more please subscribe to dumb tech talks on our youtube uh, spotify apple or wherever you get your podcasts talk to you soon thanks